Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist. Benjamin Solak. It's the Kiston Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show, episode 18, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. It's K-I-S-T. As always, Joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, I hate me some Corey Graham. How you doing, brother? Man, I mean, every day is a good day to be alive. I got love for Corey Graham. Do you? I don't know if you saw the clip because he just explicitly said in the locker room, he was like, that was an awful play. Like, I sucked. Like, that was really bad. Well, no crap. Yeah. But like, I don't know, like a, a lot of... Everyone in the building knew that it was him. Okay, a lot of players would not have been as frank, harsh on themselves as he was, in my opinion. Well, and that's fine. And you can give him credit for that. And you can call him Frank Graham if you want to. The point, the fact of the matter is, everybody who watched the play knew that it was him, fourth and 15. And it was the same thing that we saw in week one against the Atlanta Falcons. Darby's got deep coverage. He's supposed to have, and if I can say this in a way that the viewers will, all the viewers will understand, he's in a purple zone in Madden. He's supposed to cover 15 to 20 yards on a freaking, yeah. oh my God, on a fourth and 15. And to stand there with nobody else in his doggone zone, even in front of him, behind him, around – what is he looking at? Why is he watching the quarterback like that? There's a guy threatening the deep sideline, and he's motionless, standing there looking like a freaking idiot. So good job Man. on perfectly Frank Graham blowing this game because if he gets that coverage, chances are the Eagles get out of here, and a lot of this sloppy play gets forgiven and forgotten, and we can move on from it. If he Nonsense. sets up that coverage, Barnett had – Mariota dead to rights. Right. Which is pretty funny because then Barnett would have had two game-clinching sacks in a row and I would have had to deal with a whole nother week of nonsense. But here's the thing, and this is what it simply was. Like, all 11 players on that field on 4th and 15, which obviously 4th and 15 with that little time left is like a huge advantage to the defense just from a game script situation. Yeah. Of the 11 players on that team, on that defense... Corey Graham had literally the easiest job. Yep. He was to a single wide receiver set uh, against trips. The the halfback offset to his side did not release, right? He right. he chipped Barnett and then he leaked into the flat, but he was not even past the line of scrimmage. Yeah. So if he, that ball comes to him, he's got 18 yards to go and everyone's playing zone coverage. So everybody's looking down the barrel. So you he, nobody on the field had less responsibilities than Corey Graham. He yep. had... One 
job. Like, we say, like, oh, he had one job. No, he actually had one, like, singular duty and just a terrible mistake. And, like, there are so many what-ifs in this game. This was a game of tipping points, you know what right. I mean? Like, with with the fact that, like, you had teams just, like, exchanging field goals and you had red zone drives peter out for both teams and you had deep balls dropped for both teams and everywhere. So many different things could have broken so many different ways. Like, this game could have very easily, with, like, different fortune, tipped different ways. I mean, like, 28-10 to 10 Tennessee, 28-10 to 10 Philadelphia, or it could have freaking ended 23-23 and we would have, we would just be belligerent because we would have ended in a tie. So, like, this is a, a good game, I think, to parse process from results and say, okay, the Eagles lost the game. Really, this box score could have gone a bunch of different ways. Let's talk on-field performance. Let's talk game planning. Let's talk in-game adjustments and just discuss what's good and what's bad objectively. So, obviously, the Eagles come out of here with a loss, move to 2-2. Two and two. The Tennessee Titans move to 3-1, and 26-23 in overtime is your final score. Corey Graham frustrates me a lot. There are easy plays, and there I'm sorry, I'm, I'm harping on this. I'm freaking angry, dude. We lose McLeod for the season. We were bummed about it, and we mm-hmm. knew why we were bummed about it. And people asked us, well, what, what's so bad about Corey Graham? Have you watched Corey Graham at all? Have you seen him? What plays does he make? He doesn't make the easy plays. He doesn't Mike, make the hard the plays. Tackle like tackle for loss on the screen, Mike. Fantastic. Yeah, TFL on the screen. It's the best play he's made in three years. Look, there are, there are hard plays like being Avanti Maddox lined up in the slot one-on-one with a, with a dog on good wide receiver like Corey Davis and, and giving up a touchdown. I can forgive that considering the, the circumstances and the difficulty of that coverage. That's I don't mm-hmm. begrudge him for it. Maddox had a good game, and we're going to talk about him and maybe possibly replacing Corey Graham. You say Maddox have a good game? I, Maddox, made some, Maddox had the interception. Maddox had the interception. That was generated by pressure, in my opinion. So Maddox— How many snaps are you basing by—okay, so maybe not a good game, but how many snaps— are you basing that out of because he didn't right. have that much playing time no so here's my here's what i'm saying like whether what maddox had a good game like i don't know like i was right. asking you because i was like what info do you have i think like if we're like like i said like good things and bad things objectively my bad would go starting a rookie corner who played outside corner in college who you've been training to be a slot corner have him play free safety like obviously the pick that was doesn't, great. And, but doesn't that show the desperation in which how bad Corey Graham is? Right. And what were you trying to been, doing, yeah. been trying to explain to people for so freaking long? Here's what's so frustrating is you if you you know I think like like if you're a national writer writing power rankings right you're like oh man the Eagles you know Super Bowl there's a little bit of a slump like execution's not great barely got by the Colts team drop one to the Titans you know the Falcons was down to the last play like Philly really hasn't come out had that dominant performance you'd be right but the fact of the matter is. That this team, uh, week one, not healthy. Week two, not healthy. Week three, Carson's coming back. But health is even worse. Like, it's even back. there's no Sproles, there's no this, there's no that, whatever. Like, we were finally at the point where we were like, all right, Carson, Alshon, back. That's two impact players, healthy. Obviously, no Sproles, no Clement. There's still no Wallace. There's still no Hollins. Like, the offensive talent is still depleted. But Carson and Alshon, that's great. And then the Eagles lose McLeod, and we can't even appreciate the fact that the offense played well and Carson looked good and Alshon looked good, right? Because right. now you've got other injuries that you're trying to deal with. So, man, Philly's really been hit with it. First quarter of the season is done. Philly's really just been hit with the med 10, you know what I mean? It's been Red Cross all over the place. But overall, I am very surprised that the best solution was taking 
right. mean, I have no idea if if Maddox has any sort of experience playing Same. a deep middle role. I don't think he does at all. But simply like of the all, you don't have great options like you know activating Trey Sullivan, putting DeAndre Hall in, you know Rasul Douglas on the outside, and like putting Jalen Mills in the middle, right? Was something people wanted. To like uh, the fact that Maddox in the center is one of the sub packages, yeah, was like your solution to me is very surprising. I wonder what about Maddox made them think like he'd be a good deep guy or a robber or anything that they were deploying him as. I don't know. Obviously, I'm not going to argue with you. Corey Graham had no idea where he was going when he was in the middle of the field. Like all those deep middle balls, yeah, like the caught ones and the not caught ones, you could see Corey Graham like 10 yards below racing up to try to catch up because yeah. he had bit on something underneath but but still the the that, i found that maddox deployment just shocking and inexplicable yeah and, and all the stuff with Corey shooting up and you don't you don't see him all you see is the corners getting beat deep and yeah they deserve criticism too jalen mills had a bad game after a bounce back game fully will will admit that ronald darby did definitely didn't have his best game Sidney jones had an up and down game I still thought overall that he played all right. Malcolm Jenkins played absolutely fantastic, I thought, and made two big plays before that fourth down to get them in that situation uh, before they had the offsides on uh, Josh Klein, the offensive offsides, to knock him to fourth and 15. He was all over Jonu Smith on uh, on two of those plays, so I thought he played really well. But overall, I mean, this defense, the pass rush, finally, I think there is a game that we can point to that I believe that we'll say once we look at things again, wasn't exactly bumping and I know Fletcher Cox took a knock during the game and then wasn't as effective after the fact so that's something that's maybe worth monitoring but you can tell how bad this secondary can look when you lose McLeod and then you also don't pair it with a pass rush that's getting there around 40% of the time which is what the Eagles have done this entire season they've led the league in pressures leading to this point not that early in this game dare Mariota to throw the deep out, to throw the deep corner, just like I said the other day. And early on, Mariota hit it. So you knew we had ball game on, new type of offense for the Titans, and they went kind of pass heavy in the early uh, in the early portions of the game. And Corey Davis was the big benefactor of that, his, his big breakout game that the Titans needed to see from him. Nine receptions, 161 yards. And a touchdown. Taewon Taylor comes in and replaces Richard Matthews out uh, his snaps and doesn't even miss a beat. Seven catches, 77 yards. They use Deion Lewis out of the backfield on early downs, which is what I wanted to see from them. Uh, Well, maybe two weeks down the line, but they did it today. It was effective. Nine catches, 66 yards. I felt like the Titans game plan was on point. The Eagles was a little lacking. The execution overall was bad. Is there anything else? On the defense that maybe uh, that maybe I'm missing, or you want to elaborate on something that I said, Ben? Yeah, so a couple things. I think number one, the Eagles have been in a situation where an opponent has a potentially game time or game winning drive very frequently, and very often the defensive line is the one that kind of pulls them out of that muck. And it didn't happen this week. You know, there were a couple of drives where holding Tennessee would have changed. You know, really put Philadelphia more so in the driver's seat. That that didn't really come to play. I don't know what happened to Fletcher Cox on that little injured series where he went out for a couple of plays. He did have a brace on his right arm uh, mm. when he was playing by the end of the game, but he kind of vanished for me, which, number one, like, That's if you're beat typical. up, you're beat up. <laughs> yeah, you're, you know, number one, if you're, if you're beat up, you're beat up. You know, if you're not 100%, I'm not criticizing. Um, but he did vanish a little bit. 
And then number two, you're probably devoting the majority of your offensive line's resources to stopping him. You saw pressure from Bennett early. You saw, obviously, Barnett had a great sack, very oh, high-quality yeah. play. By the way, let's talk about that real quick. Barnett, with the inside move that he had, I don't think I've ever seen him hit an inside swim like that when the offensive tackle opened the door for him to hit that. Very encouraging sign. One of the things that we wanted to see from him. Credit to Barnett. Very good. Ben, go. No, yeah. So absolutely, I agree with you. Barnett being able to hit that inside move is very important. And one of the one of the big key points of my Barnett take is that I'm not sure after a year and change of NFL play, he really has the explosiveness and 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 speed and cornering ability to be a consistent outside rush guy. And if you're going to win with inside moves, you need to be able typically to threaten that outside track all the time. Now there are successful rushers who really still scare offensive tackles around the edge, and they're still able to generate those inside rush tracks, even though they're not great corners. Brandon Graham is one of them. And yeah. that's one of the things about Brandon Graham, who's kind of like a late come-on guy, and he doesn't have a, a typical frame, and it took him a bit, you know. So there's a path there, but Barnett hitting inside moves is really, really good. The better he gets at, at threatening the outside corner, the more quickly he opens up his inside uh, lanes. So yeah. he's kind of got the two of the one-two punch. And if he can bring the one, he'll be complete. What I've always been worried about is the one. But still, obviously, a great thing to see. Yeah. I, I didn't really get that, you know, uh, who's the the big-time player right now for Philadelphia, the guy in the front four who gets that key pressure. You would say it was Cox, but if he was beat up, okay, then you want to be Brandon Graham. I'm not sure he's 100%. He still looks great. He looks it's, better. It's been Chris Long. It's been Chris Long and Michael Bennett, too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So no, but like Long and Bennett in that they're typically situational, you know what I mean? They're kind of being rotated in. I don't know, like, I'm very interested to go back and see like, when it came to those fourth downs late in the game, who were the pass rushers that Schwartz put in? And where did he put him in? You know Mm. what I mean? Like, who was he really uh, relying on there? And how did those reps go? Uh, So I feel that way. I also think that uh, Jalen Mills is probably the worst starter on the defense if you're not calling Destiny Vio a starter. Right. Uh, we got to talk about that because you can really feel about Jalen Mills however you want. But when this defense is fully healthy, right? I'm talking about if McLeod were out on the field, it's very, very difficult to make a case for him being better, a high, higher quality player than anybody else in that defense, even if you're a big Mills fan. You know what I yeah. mean? Maybe you're coming at Haloti Nada. Um, but if we're talking about starting in nickel, uh, is he right now a better player than Sidney Jones? I don't think so. No. Right? And 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 then not a, you know, a veteran. He's kind of like is what he is. Maybe not as sexy or as exciting or, you know, like pump up as a player, but he's a quality player, which is important to note simply for this reality. When, and, and this is very clearly evidenced in the Tennessee game, in my opinion, when you are facing the Eagles, one of the first questions you're going to ask yourself as an offensive coordinator is how do we attack Jalen Mills? When he's on the field, that is going to be the conversation that's had on Monday morning, on Tuesday morning, in the meeting rooms for the coaching staff of the Eagles opponents. Right now, when you're listening, Mike Zimmer and John D. freaking Filippo, here last year and his great coordinator, are going, all right, how can we get Mills? Because he is viewed as the weak point in the secondary. Very clear. 
Uh, Corey Davis was aligned against him constantly, especially in, in quality situations where they were looking for big plays. And Davis is a guy who's kind of been looking for his breakout game, hasn't been able to get it, has been disappointing despite high volume, and then he wakes up suddenly against Jalen Mills. Right? Like, what's that telling you about Jalen Mills' stance among other NFL corners? It has not been a good start to the season for Mills. He, uh, This is really, I think, this this construction of, of Mills as the liability in the secondary and as the liability on the defense is very important because it, it kind of takes away from the discussion like, oh, really, how good is Jalen Mills? Well, even if you're like, think he's good, you don't think he's better than Darby or Jenkins or McLeod when he's in, and maybe you do Sidney Jones, but I would disagree with you. Mills is clearly targeted as the weak point. And yeah. that's 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 reality. So as we move along this season, we're going to be looking for answers, obviously at safety, since you know the the moves they made with Maddox and Corey Graham is awful, and now you look at that outside corner position. Obviously, Rasul Douglas would probably have first crack at that. Uh, also, if you're looking at safety and you wanted to trade for Earl Thomas for maybe a second round pick, that's not happening anymore because he now has heartbroken a clean lower leg break, and on the way out, he flicked off the sidelines for the Seattle Seahawks, obviously showing his displeasure at not getting a trade or a new contract. Good for him. Uh, I mean that. They should have paid him or they should have traded him. They should have not played so hard-headed with him. That's why Thomas wanted to get paid. It was for that exact scenario, and that happened. So obviously we can't or we're not going to trade for him right now. So Earl Thomas out of the picture. We flip it to the offensive side of the ball. Before we get to Wentz, I know a lot of people were frustrated with the call at the end of the first half, third and three with 11 seconds to go, one timeout. They run up the middle with Jai for one yard. Uh, I don't know, man. 21 to three to me feels a whole hell of a lot better than 17 to three, which is the lead that they blew. And they didn't even give it a shot. But apparently what Doug Peterson wanted to do was have a run that went for maybe three seconds or four seconds, whatever the case is, call a timeout, then have seven or eight seconds at the end there to take one shot at the end zone. Obviously, it didn't work out that way, but my thinking is, why not just take the shot right there and you give yourself more options? You you can you, you have more field to throw to if you have that timeout in your back pocket as far as, and then you're not worried about taking a sack because you still have the timeout. Ben, do you remember that call? What, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, so no, no, the third and three, 11 seconds left. Yeah, it was, uh, I think Peterson caught a little bit more flack than he deserved in the immediate reaction from beats and from social media of the game, but that was a surprising one. I think, Mike, you saw the Penn State-Ohio State game on Saturday night. (laughs) James Franklin calls a run at fourth and five, and it's, you know, they audible into it from the sideline, and they had really a really nice hole via alignment, you know, uh, before the snap. My big thing with assuming runs are going to gain yardage, which you assume every play is going to gain yardage, right? But here's the thing with assuming runs are going to change yardage. If the defense shifts from the advantageous look pre-snap to a worse look at or after the snap. Which they did. You yep. can't really change anything with a run, right? Yep. You don't get to make new decisions. Fast forward to the end of the fourth quarter. May, it may have even been overtime. The throw to Jordan Matthews in the back of the end zone on third and three, which like mm. Carson sailed way out of bounds, right? Yeah. That situation, Doug chose to run the uh, to throw the ball in a very similar down and distance positioning on the field. Third and three, knocking on the door inside the 15. Mm-hmm. Even though the throw was a low percentage throw to a low percentage receiver and it was a bad throw, I really like the play call there because it was designed as a play to go like four yards down the field. It was like mesh and, and curls, and there was just a ton of crossers and traffic in the middle. And 
Indianapolis, or excuse me, not Indianapolis, Tennessee, handled it very nicely, and they had everybody blanked it up, and Carson had to go through his progressions. That's the thing with the pass. It's designed to go somewhere, but when things get wonky after the snap, well, it's very easy to change your mind because the quarterback's right. still holding onto the football, and he's allowed to put it wherever he freaking wants, right? This, this, yeah. When you run the football, the offensive line is blocking for one spot, for one concept. The halfback is reading for one spot, for one concept. And if, like Ohio State, two players twist and stun, or on the Tennessee play, they win whatever matchup was necessary for them to close that hole that Peterson and the offensive design envisioned, you can't adjust. Hmm. And so I like keeping the ball in my playmaker's hands in that regard, in that situation. So I, I get it on paper and on the chalkboard, but things rarely go uh, as you anticipate them to on the chalkboard. I thought that was um, the most questionable decision for Peterson. Uh, that and I really didn't like the choice to let the Titans run the clock down uh, before the two-minute warning on second down. Now, the Titans ended up throwing a quick little mm. looky screen to Corey Davis that went for about five yards. Uh, it was Ronald Darby's only tackle of the game, I'm pretty sure. When you let them bring a running clock down to 205, yeah, they have the freedom to pass the football. I mean, it's 203, really. They can throw it because the clock's going to stop anyway. So I, I think a smart move on Vrabel's part would have been to throw the football past the sticks at that moment because there was no harm, no foul. Clock was going to stop anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I found those two decisions to be the, uh, the, the biggest issues. I don't know about you, Mike. Uh, the decision to punt with three minutes left, I did not mind at all. You yeah, were already, you were at your 42. Uh, I believe it was about fourth and four. Yeah. If you pick that up, you've got over three minutes left, all three of your timeouts, and 20 yards to go to kick the field goal. Tennessee's probably getting that ball back. Yeah. You're, it's very difficult. They have all three of their timeouts. It's very difficult to get downfield, make them eat up their timeouts, and score a touchdown. It's a big ask. Uh, if you go for it, you don't get it. Tennessee either is kicking a field goal to make this a, uh, a six-point game, or they're probably pinning you at 25 or worse. Right. With the punt, you're saying to a defense who was killing the Titans against the run. Like, yeah. killing them. Yeah. Deion Lewis, four carries, zero yards. Derrick Henry, eight carries, 24 yards. Beautiful. Marcus Mariota, the leading rusher, 10 carries for 46 yards. But a lot he of that's yet to have this set. Yeah, he had, he had yet to have, at this point in the game, the 17-yard scramble right. on, like, third and 19 yep. that, you know, added to that. So, they were killing him against the run. So, you punt the ball, get it back, probably in front of the 25, which they ended up getting it at the 40. Uh, shout out DeAndre Carter. You know what I mean? I yeah. thought that was a fine decision, and it was one that I saw heavily criticized. Yeah, I thought I thought that was perfectly fine, too. And one thing that I want to do is reach out to Edge Analytics, the company that the Eagles have hired to guide their decision-making on that and see if there was any game-winning chance leaked out on that because I'm going to trust their word over my judgment. And even though I thought it was the correct call, we'll see what Edge Analytics has to say about it. We'll go to a neutral party to see who's, uh, who's right about this, if there was any difference whatsoever in the game-winning chance. Ben, with the offense... Four sacks. Defensive coordinator for the for the Tennessee Titans, Dean Pease, who we talked about being aggressive. He was dialed in. We didn't make them pay when they blitz. He was bringing corner. Or he was playing corners on blitzes, stunts, twists, linebacker blitzes. He was doing all types of stuff, and the Eagles' offensive line was not prepared. And their running backs, especially, especially Wendell Smallwood, and I'll criticize him here because he had a good day on the ground, terrible day in pass pro. And you know, overall, Carson Wentz goes thirty three for fifty, three forty eight, two touchdowns. Thought he played well. Thought he looked better than he did in the game last week against the Indianapolis Colts. 
When you look at the receivers that we got back, Alshon Jeffrey obviously making an impact on the outside for the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, getting that stack and get one over the in the bucket from from Carson Wentz, where we haven't gotten that type oh, of play man. from any other receiver. That, that got made me, me wiggle up. a little bit, man. That made me get a little like, baby. <laughs> And then, of course, the red zone touchdown, man. So eight catches, 105 for a touchdown for Alshon Jeffrey. Thought he played fantastic. Zach Ertz was dominating the middle of the field, especially after Wesley Woodyard and Kenny Vaccaro for the Titans went out with injuries. He was just dominating the middle of the field, 10 catches, 112 yards. Nelson Aguilar had a bad day. So we can talk about either the offensive line not being prepared for the blitz or not being able to communicate it, not being able to pick it up along with the lack of help from the running backs. We can talk about Nelson Aguilar struggling. We can talk about the penalties. We can talk about the fumbles. It was sloppy play from the offense at the end of the day that that halted some of their drives and led to them only being one for four in the red zone and ultimately not too effective. I still thought overall good day for the offense. What do you think, Ben? Really great day for the offense until they got the ball within the 15-yard line. And yep. obviously that's going to cut, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, Eagles kicked three field goals with Jake Elliott on the roster and none of them are longer than 40, right? Like that's, you know, that, that is... Not what you would expect. Eagles kicked field goals of 27, 30, and 37 yards, Mike. So those are drives that ended at the 10, the 13, and the 20. The kicker is two of those drives were end-of-half drives, right? So you're limited in the amount of time that you have. But both of them, uh, it was the DeAndre Carter drive, which started at the Tennessee 39. Hmm. And then it was uh, the turnover, the Avante Maddox interception, which I believe started at the 33. Three, maybe the 27 or something like that so two very short fields both at the end of the game both with huge momentum point swing opportunities and uh you get chip shot field goals out of those the fact that the eagles struggled on those short fields mike leads me to a take i have a take are you prepared here we go oh we have a take do we have a take sound effect no i don't think we have a take sound effect ben i'll have to put it in in post Go, Ben's got a take. For the foreseeable future, not necessarily for the whole year, for the foreseeable Ooh, future hot. Eagles offense. I'm Sorry, already no. putting conditions on it. I'm already like, <laughs> like, you know, like hedging the bet. Eagles base offense should be hurry up. Oh, for sure. Teams should know the Eagles will be coming out and hurry up. You know what yeah. I mean? It shouldn't be used as like, uh, oh, we got a big play. You know, it was a long catch by Alshon Jeffrey. Let's get it moving. No, no, no. It should be. Every drive, we anticipate the Eagles to come out as a hurry-up offense. Here my take. Here's here's my my evidence. Number one. Go ahead. I was shocked to hear uh, Daryl Johnson say on the broadcast that Peterson had told him directly, like, we don't want to be a 13 personnel team, which is weird to me because Doug doesn't seem to me to be a guy who's like, I need to be in these personnels. Yeah. It's like Doug is like, I want to be whatever's most effective, and 13 personnel was effective. So I don't know if he's just feeding Johnson something. Uh, you know what I mean? He's just like kind of just talking nonsense. But the Eagles have on their roster, especially when it's healthy, um, some real matchup issues. And matchup issues are great to run no huddle with. Dallas Goddard, uh, Darren Sproles being the two guys who immediately popped to mind. Mm-hmm. Zach Ertz being another one. Uh, those guys are problems. And so you get them on the field and you put a defense in hurry up. You're at a point where, and this is something that I broke down, uh, it's written on Bleeding Green Nation, talking about Dallas Goddard making offense easy is the name of the post. With Goddard on the field, especially in hurry up, you can get seven good blockers in the box, generating eight running gaps, and then you can go empty in back-to-back plays because you can yeah. get a Jai or Sproles or Smallwood out there, whatever you want to do. Excuse me, whatever you want to do. You're at a point where you can be very, very multiple, and so that leads itself to hurry up, no huddle. That's number one. Number two. I'm not yet comfortable saying that Carson Wentz is like fully in his groove. You know what I mean? Like I thought that there were plays 
today that he could have extended with his legs, where it said he kind of just forced the ball, uh, you know, like uh, when he was like vibing, you know, after we put the hurt on the Bears, put the hurt on the Broncos, when Carson was feeling himself in the middle of last season, he sees Zach Ertz a little bit covered on that last play, that last third and 12, and he goes, looks like we're scrambling, people, here we go, like <laughs> about to create something, like he's just not... You know, and that makes sense. He hasn't played a long time. He's back. He's beat up. So I don't think Carson's necessarily in his in his rhythm. He's not necessarily harmonic yet, uh, you know, in tune with the universe. Hurry up kind of takes a lot of the thinking out uh, for, for, uh, for a quarterback and lets him just be a little more instinctive, lets him just kind of uh, do his own thing a little bit more, which I think would very be, be very beneficial for Carson at this time. And number three. Hurry up offense allows you to run more effectively some package plays and some RPOs. It was something the Eagles used in the playoffs uh, when they had foals and they were limited on offense in that regard. It's just, it's a, uh, uh, this, this offense needs a little bit of a boost, Mike. Like I saw the stat today, Eagles scored 25 plus points 12 times uh, last season. They've yet to break that 25-point barrier this season. Uh, there's 12 games left of the season, Mike. You know, so this offense hasn't necessarily been as explosive. Obviously, we know there's been injury concerns. But hurry up just gives you juice, right? It gets a defense on their heels. It just adds a little bit more danger to your offense, as we know. So I think the Eagles should really consider, you know, hurry up, no huddle, uh, and use that as a functional part of their offense. If maybe just like as a... Uh, as a quick patch for the next couple of weeks when you're trying to get some of your running backs back to health, you're trying to shore up some things on the offensive line. Look for a tempo style of offense. Ball out quick. Solves the pressure issues too, Mike. So I really think that that's something that they should investigate. So going through your points, one through three here, and I agree with you. I really, really agree with you that they should be not solely a, a, an up-tempo, hurry-up team, but a lot of the times they should definitely shift in and out of it at the very least and use it at key points in the game and open up with it. Remember the, the Colts game, the, the whole first drive, 12, 12 plays, 79 yards, all hurry up oh, in 13 wow. personnel, right? Now, I understand not Doug saying he doesn't want to be a 13 personnel team. You're getting Alshon Jeffrey back. You don't have to necessarily be that. That's an obvious upgrade on the outside over Josh Perkins, Kamari Aiken, Shelton Gibson, guys like that. That's fine. Be a 12 team because, like you said, that personnel with Dallas Goddard, who was an excellent blocker for for the Eagles last week, and I, I think put, played pretty well in that respect today. When I saw him, I, I, I wasn't paying too much attention, but he can definitely do it. So you can line them up in a wing, and then you can spread them out, and you put the defense in a situation where they need to react. So that hurry up there, that that, that second point uh, of them getting in a rhythm and a tempo, and even Carson Wentz said that when they talked about bringing him back in the Colts game, he said that, you know, I, I suggested it. I feel comfortable with it. It makes the defense look more vanilla when you go to that hurry-up style, especially when you have a matchup advantage. It puts them in a in a bind like it did against the Colts there. And they tried it more in that game, but penalties really took some of the tempo out of there. So they, they have to be more clean in that respect right. if they want that's that to work. Point. That's, a, that's a big part of it because that will slow you down. Number three, the package plays. Fantastic point. Back when the New England Patriots were running their, you know, their their green light offense, right? That they had actually consulted with Chip Kelly, and I'm not saying run a Chip Kelly offense. I'm saying this part of it breaking. Mikeist says run oh. the Chip Kelly offense. Here we go. Here we go. But no, but one of the things that the New England Patriots did was they had six plays, and they would come to the line, and they would have a one word call for six plays as they came into each game. 
You can do that with the Eagles and you can make life for e- easy for Carson Wentz and make those decisions easy and have those packages and have those mismatches, have those six plays in those situations. And you can be really productive out of those, especially with the way that this team, this coaching staff is able to game plan against other defenses. And I think you may see more of that as we get more tape on these defenses to be able to dissect what they want to be and then counterpunch with that. So I I 100% agree. The personnel we have it to do it. The advantages for Carson Wentz are definitely there. And then the things you can do with packaged plays, I think are an advantage to this offense, especially considering how good this coaching staff is scheming against other teams to take advantage of certain things in certain situations. So I agree with all of those three points. With that said, Ben, any other players or situations or anything else on the offense that you want to dig into before we uh, uh, mercilessly end this doggone losing? I hate I hate podcasts after a loss, man. I hate it, especially with a close loss like that. Like I haven't felt this way about a loss in a very long time. I think the last time I was this frustrated with a loss was honestly week two against the Chiefs last year. And I was probably frustrated for the wrong reasons because then – and we can kind of get into this. I was frustrated because I thought we abandoned the run a little bit, but you look at the situations that they were in in week two, and I think we overblew that a little bit. And I think the same thing is happening right now with this team because we went 66% pass, but the pass was effective. It was 6.9 yards per pass that, that, that we were getting. And Jay Ajayi is beat up, and we don't have Sproles in the backfield. I think it's you know fine. I mean, can you criticize a certain play call over another because we were dominating the middle of the field with Ertz? Nelson had some drops. If he doesn't have those drops, the off the passing offense looks even better. Alshon was kicking right. butt. Like, what specific play calls are people going to point to if you say, okay, we'll state your case? When should we have run instead of passing this situation? Why would that result have been better? Like, that's that's where I'm coming from. No, I hear you. And, and uh, I think that we don't nearly hear the run-pass-split complaint if that driving overtime isn't For just sure. like seven yards with a jai nine yards with a jai seven yards with smallwood 15 yards with a jai it was just a great drive and they just ripped them up eagles uh rushing attack blocked well the entire game it was the best part of how their offensive line played yeah they blocked even better i'm gonna get to that they blocked even better at the end of the game kind of wore down that front for tennessee you when you when you're a stunting twisting front like you run around a lot yeah. uh kind of wore that front down but this, this has always been a pass first offense and rightfully so, the average offensive play passing just gives you a better chance of winning than running. Obviously, yep. you want to understand what's happening situationally, but I think it's silly to say that Carson was struggling or that the passing game in general was struggling. I think Aguilar had a rough day, uh, but overall, the passing game was doing quite well, in my opinion. Uh, and and always important to remember, if you go look at the Carson heat map, you know the, uh, the chart where he threw his passes, Eagles threw a healthy amount of passes behind the line of scrimmage. Yep. Those are basically understood to be runs. Yep. You know what I mean? It's a player getting a ball with a runway with a few blockers in front of him. That's 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 what a run is. And it's a basically guaranteed comp, uh, you know completion, which is the same thing as a yep. handoff in my book. Yeah. Yes, there you go. Uh, offensive line, Mike. Uh, the Eagles struggled a bit to handle the pressure from the Colts front four, uh, and then they had, I think, further struggles. One could say against the Tennessee front on a scale of one to ten. One is lowest ten is the most. How concerned are you with the Eagles' offensive line pass protecting? Jeez, man, I don't know. A three. Like, it doesn't seem yeah. like anything that can't be fixed at all. You know what I mean? Stunting yeah. defensive lines, mm-hmm. get home. Like, just period. Mm-hmm. And, like, 
well, you know, why doesn't everybody do it? Because it takes a while. You need to be able to cover the back end. You need to, you know, we talked about those zone blitzes and those guys dropping. When you don't know who's dropping where, you've got to sit and dissect for a little bit. And those twists and those stunts, you know what I mean? It's basically as the offensive line, you're at an educated guessing game. You're like, all right, we know on tape when they put this guy here and this guy there on these downs, usually it's this, but they can also counter with that. So we're probably going to do it this way and we're going to slide it this way. But if it's going to go the other way, it's going to go the other way. And DPs does a great job of of varying up his attack. So it's hard to get a beat on him yeah so guys are gonna get home yeah you know what i mean like uh i wanna i wanna you know kind of put it this way there were many many plays both sacks and completions where carson had like 2.5 which is the number we talk about and more Mm -hmm. seconds to throw yep and there were plays where you saw the offensive line beautifully seal off and switch and handle all these stunts and it was great carson was able to get the ball down the field eagles had uh, a couple of explosive passes very nice to see boom there you go the Eagles have not yet faced a team that I think has gotten close to the 2.5 time to throw number because the Eagles style of pressure is, listen, we may not get home on every play, but when we get home, we get home so fast that we're forcing you as an offense to really be very, very quick getting the football out. So it's different schemas, different understandings of what pressure does and what about pressure is valuable. The Titans had a few sacks, Mike. Eagles had a pick in enemy territory. I don't know how to how to handle the the expected value, you know, the uh, the EPA points added from those plays, but the Eagles style of pressure is what generated that interception. The Colts style of pressure generated some sacks, right? And and so you got to, you know, kind of suss out how you feel about that there. Uh I will say something we have not yet touched on, which I think we just should um for narrative purposes, Michael. Alshon Jeffrey caught 8 of 9 targets. 89% catch rate, Mike. <laughs> for 105 yards yeah. and a touchdown, Mike. Half of his plays, I believe, went for 14 yards or more. I think it was. I can't remember. Don't quote me on that. He looked Bro, quite good. They they threw him a they they threw him a bubble screen. They throwed him. They that, that's the way I, 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 I corrected it. I corrected it. You can't. Yeah, get and me I that. still I'm called excited. it out. I don't care. I'm excited. They threw him. They throwed him a bubble screen. And he got yards after catch. It was when in my article with Alshon Jeffrey, the lowest grade that he had was a two out of seven for yards at, a, at after catch. He hasn't been good at that in his career at all. He, what was that? A fourteen yard reception he had on a bubble screen, something like that. Dude was hitting on all levels. He's a, three, he's a three level threat. Always has been. Going to give you production outside. Going to give you a mismatch against cornerbacks. Be able to moss them. Essentially, dude has crazy strong hands, great at contested catches, and that catch rate today was just bonkers. So you can put aside that. Dude, he's had five different quarterbacks in the last two years. Five different quarterbacks in the last two years. You're going to tell me about chemistry problems. That is not the issue. You know, it takes time to get on the same page. And he looked on the same page with Carson today. I can't wait to see Alshon Jeffrey continue to evolve this chemistry with Carson Wentz because it was bumping today. That touchdown was kind of like a get-out-of-your-seat sort of touchdown. Yeah. I don't know about you. I was hyped. <laughs> I like uh, if like if you like give me like all the different varieties of like a receiving touchdown like oh like a bubble screen that goes for big yak or like uh, a speed demon just burns a safety over the top or a contested catch in yeah. the end zone yeah give me give me the one where uh, a grown man looks like a little girl at the end I'll say <laughs> for entertainment value this is yeah. my favorite one man that touchdown was big boy play in a big boy way like that was it was it was a lot of fun to watch obviously he had to take some reps off because he's got a virus or whatever you know so he like right. made a big play and then went to the sideline and like doused himself in Gatorade because he clearly <laughs> is sick it's the Alshon Jeffrey flu game talking about uh, being an impact player 
right when you come back after an injury like that. I mean, beautiful. it's crazy to me. We are a year and change removed from Alshon being an injury-prone and then also like bit of a locker room character concern guy, right. Mike. And now, not only does it seem like he's having a great time, uh, and he like has awesome chemistry with Carson. He's fighting through injury. He's quite productive, obviously after one game, but he's quite productive last year too. Just, I mean, uh, I don't know. To me, that speaks to to uh, uh, Mike Rowe, who's wide receiver coach last year, uh, and Doug Peterson. Just kind of what they're able to do bringing him in. It's uh, Alshon such is such a big addition to this team, man. It changed the it changed the offense. You yeah. said it would, and it did. Absolutely, man. So I'm glad I was right on that one. I'm glad we can end on a positive note. This offense is going to be fine as we move along. This defense still has some things to figure out, but luckily there's eight home games on the schedule for the year, so we should win all eight of those with under 20 points being scored against us. Shout out. (laughs) Ben, I think that covers it for today. Obviously, what we'll be doing next is that the next shows to drop will be the press conferences with Doug Peterson, Jim Schwartz, Mike Rowe. As usual, after that, we will have seen the coaches film, the All-22, and we will go more in-depth on what we saw past the live viewing We'll have seen it with our third eye, with the third eye raven type stuff, whatever you want to call it. But Ben, say goodbye to the gentle listeners. Okay, number one, now I want to watch Game of Thrones. Number two. <laughs> have you seen the trailer? What? Yeah, go see the, it's it's leaked. Yeah, go see the trailer. It's incredible. Where is it? On the internets. Well, I know it's on the internet. <laughs> Will you send it to me, dearest? I think my I think my wife showed me where it was. It looked like some bootleg site. How did you how did you how did you see it and not send it to me? We talk every day. We're best friends. Because it was on my wife's phone and she showed it to me like some okay. post on Facebook. Well, tell your wife to send it to me. She has my number. Oh, oh what? Oh no. I'm funny and inappropriate. What, what is what? No. <laughs> what the hell? No, we got it. <laughs> No, that will not stand. We got to end the show on that. That was... Whew. All right. Thanks for listening to BGN Radio, a Kiss the Solak show, your mama jokes edition, uh, the uh, Tennessee Eagles recap. As always, I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He's a Michael Kist on Twitter, My at word. Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Is it hot in here? I almost <laughs> did. That's Michael Kist uh, on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL. That's C-U-C-K-O-L-D, but I figured that'd be too much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no! No! <laughs> PG-13 episode. Don't hurt me, Fit. What the hell is going on with you? What got into you? <laughs> Dude, tough loss. What can I say? Gloves wow. are coming off. I just ate a big L. Holy! I crap. don't know if I should ask you to rate the podcast now. I should ask you to do that a while ago, uh, <laughs> about sixty seconds ago. <laughs> but if you still want to, uh, only five star ratings are accepted in the system. Uh, we are still on the quest for five hundred. Be cool to get five hundred before we got to the Vikings game. It's a big one coming up, Mike, on Sunday. But either way, yeah. uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank wow. you so much for sticking through the derail. As is tradition here on the show. Uh, we'll catch you guys later in the week. I can't even say anything back because your mom like loves you and like cherishes you and stuff. I can't I can't even I don't, I don't even have anything. Uh, there. We all know. we got we all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Oh, I'm coming I'm back. I'm coming back on you hard <laughs> for that one. <laughs> you got Yeah, me I doing. mean like at this point, you know what I mean? Like it was just like my like feeble little attempt and now I know I'll just get 
beaten into submission. It's like when you let your little brother, like, you know, win a little bit in the video game. Like, you let him knock you off the, the platform once in Super Smash Brothers, and then you're like, all right, now the, the playing field is even. You just Here talked about go. sleeping with my wife. That's not like letting you win at a video game. That was... <laughs> I'm sorry. You lobbed it over the plate. It had to be done. That's 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 fair. That's fair. It's fine. We'll we'll probably be shout out Mrs. Kiss. She's a woman though. <laughs> when she's she's close to um her her test is soon, isn't it? December. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude. So she'll be uh she'll be uh, graduating soon, and it's gonna be awesome. It's thrilling. Yeah. yeah. Will she have more time? Time for what? No, not like that. <laughs> I just meant like you know like you like you obviously got the youngin and everything. Like when she's done with school, I'm sure your schedules will get easier. Oh yeah, yeah, no, and then football season will will be over shortly after that, so we'll get to spend some time together. We'll three three way you in on some on some calls. Thank you. <laughs> I'm very comfortable with that. <laughs> hey guys, this is John Stolnes from the Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season. Man, the 2018 season was. Well, it was interesting anyway, and the upcoming offseason looks to be even more interesting. So if you want to stay up to date on all things Phillies this offseason, subscribe to the Good Fight podcast feed and get my podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. And you'll get bonus podcasts every time big news is made with the team. Seriously, if you want to stay up to date on everything revolving around your favorite baseball team as they return to contention, make sure you are subscribed to the Good Fight podcast feed.